Dave Max Cork History Matters, brought to you by Red FM. In this episode, I talk to Adrian Russell, author of The Double, How Cork Made GAA History. The Double has been achieved! A story full of stories, set in an Ireland now gone, then in transition. A sun-kissed summer of ole olays as Italia 90 fever raged, and Prince brought sex and outrage in equal measure down the park. A summer culminating in two epic weeks in September, when Cork swept all before them and everyone with them. Sam Maguire goes proudly back to Leeside. It's Sam and it's Liam in the one year for Cork. From the Canon O'Brien Statement of Intent number plate 90C27 to Babs Keating's infamous Donkeys Don't Win Derbies to a game for the ages where the Rebels overcame Cyril Farrell and Tony Keady's tribesmen 515 to 221 for their 27th Liam McCarthy. From Billy Morgan's Fuck the Bus, We'll Walk and Lock the Gates and Make Them Watch to two consecutive final defeats to Sean Boylan and Jerry McEntee's Meath before the win over Mayo set up a double within a double and Royal County Redemption. 11-9 as Cork's fourth final in a row saw Sam Maguire return home for the sixth time. It's a story full of stories and full of characters from Tomás Mulcahy to Larry Tompkins to Kevin Hennessy, John Cairns, Jer Cunningham, the double-winning Teddy McCarthy, and of course, the special sauce that glued them all together, John the Kid Cronin. So settle back and join me as we delve deep on the double. Adrian Russell, you're the editor of the42.ie and author of The Double, How Cork Made GAA History. Well, actually, we're recording this on the day, 2nd of September 2020, exactly 30 years to the day that the Hurlers did step one of of what is still like an incredible achievement. Um, Ironically, The Double was done 100 years after it, it in a form, had been done before. What's that story? Yeah, so in 1890, GAA was still at the stage where it was an inter-county setup. It was the county champions, the club teams went forward to represent the, the counties. Um, so it was Middlin and Abulug went forward and they both managed to, to win the All-Ireland Series. But uh, yeah, I suppose 100 years later, remarkably the fact that it was you know, a full century later and the only time since really the, the county team managed to pull it off. Yeah, the, the stars aligned. Galway maybe and Dublin by, by virtue of numbers potentially could do it. But yeah. you know, it just adds to how incredible an achievement it is is that so few counties could even dream of such a thing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like Traditionally, probably Galway would have been the other county who would you know, like to think they'd pull it off if, if things came together for them, even though they have, you know, in fairness, far less um, titles than, than Cork. Um, but no, yeah, in the modern game, like Dublin hurlers aren't in the position this year, I would say, or next year even to, to do it. But, you know, it's it's really popular game in parts of Dublin that hasn't been in the, in the past. Were you aware before you wrote the book of the depth of stories that lay behind it? I knew those. I mean, obviously, it's a story in and yeah. of itself and the cut and thrust of sport in itself has stories, but this thing is jam-packed <laughs> full of stuff. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't sure, to be honest, until I got stuck into it, that there was a book in it. I knew the characters were there, but I didn't realise, yeah, probably that there was the depth of stories there. And what I kind of quickly realised, and people have said to me, is that the, the footballers themselves, their kind of four or five or even six year arc is a story on a book in itself. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah. And weirdly, because, you know, I think everybody knows that hurling shines brighter in Cork yeah. than, than the football does. But it's the football story is the heart, the heart of, of this. Uh, yeah. it, at least there's there's more colourful aspects to it, particularly the matchup with Meath. Before we go into it, let's... So you have Billy Morgan. I mean, what a character he is. 
uh, a driven man um, and uh, an explosive man. Uh, What a power of personality uh, he must have. He's matched up in in a way against Mick O'Dwyer and ultimately then uh, Sean Boyle and Meath. Yeah. On the other side, you've Father O'Brien, uh, Gerald McCarthy, the, the 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 trainer of the team, but Father O'Brien, the character yes. who, who who led them through, um, and they're matched up then nicely as well. Yeah, there's a nice balance from my point of view in the, you know, the Cyril Farrell Galway, Babs yeah. Keating tip. Yeah. So you know, like you, that, yeah. and that's just behind the scenes. Never mind on the pitch. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a dream, really, from a, an author's point of view, isn't it? So like, you could make the argument that. You know, Father Boyne in particular and uh, Billy Morgan, they kind of created something through that kind of force of personality for different reasons. Like the, the hurlers obviously would have a huge tradition and they were, you know, the top hurling team um, at that stage, traditionally, I would mean. like, um, But at the same time, they had been done for a few years. So the canon, had to come, the canon, as he became known as, like the canon came in and had to create something really and kind of convince people that something existed. Whereas Billy had to kind of, you know, break... Kerry's yes, stranglehold yes. and kind of pull a team together and convince people that they could do this like and then as you say they got over one kind of monster as it was put in the book I think and then you know they're facing Mead another bigger monster almost uh, down the line like and that's it. what left them down the first time around is they got through yeah. Kerry and, and sort of that had been the ambition and hadn't looked beyond that horizon yeah. and then found oh but look at you you got to get over the first step first yeah, don't exactly, you exactly yeah you know yourself in sports that often happens, doesn't it? You kind of have to lose one to win one or whatever. Larry Tompkins makes the point. Um, that, as you said, they kind of, they were focused on Kerry and that was the big thing. Like, I mean, they had lost so many times down to Killarney and down the park and been... Well, look, I think, we'll, I think we'll, 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 we'll start on the football in a minute, but just the cannon arriving in <laughs> right. with, the, with the Reg plate. Yeah. Like, what an entrance. Did, yeah. would, would he have been familiar to everybody in the setup? Yes, it wasn't his first time in with the... No, he, he was co... Coach or co-manager, I think, was the term in '84 with Justin McCarthy, and it was a successful oh, that, year. Yes, although that he, they didn't get on so well, did they? Well, at the time they did, I think. But uh, like a lot of things, and maybe a lot of times in Cork, yeah, they f- probably fell out afterwards. Like, no, he wrote something. He wrote yeah. something after. Yeah, I don't think the canon was particularly pleased uh, with how he was portrayed in Justin McCarthy's. Uh, yeah, they, uh, the way he was portrayed afterwards and there wasn't enough credit given maybe to, to him as, as he saw it. But then again, just again, how colourful the canon is, like he'd, he'd be the, the high, you know, he'd be high and low in the, tr- like, do the lads yeah. want me at all seem to be a refrain through the thing. <laughs> yeah. Do they want me at all? Yeah, well, he, he was he was a big into the mind games as a lot of players told me. Like, the, the, the reds you kind of references he, he made, he was big on entrances and big on exits. Like, and he, he came in in a, a new Ford um, with the, the licence plate, 90C27, which was, a way of for him to kind of say, look, lads, you've won twenty six, or as a county, we've won twenty six. I believe that we want to win twenty seven this year, and that this is how much I believe in you. I've, I've you know registered my car in that way. But he, like Tomas Wakai would tell you, like he kind of he often just swept out of training halfway through, yeah. gathered up the slitters and would leave because he just wanted to the lads, which they did, were all looking, looking at each other and asking what's happened to the Father O'Brien here. Like and he'd come back in and say, look, I'll give you one more try, and you know the training will go up a few levels and um, like he was really good at the man management stuff. I would say like Mourinho has been a John Constantine compared even him to though that. It, it, as you wrote it, it felt like less calculated and more almost natural. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was, like he probably did throw a huff and storm yeah, off. That's true. Yeah, I think there was there was definitely an element of histrionics and like um, theatre, I suppose. Again, like, you know, he was one of those. You remember those old? Maybe they still exist, but the old school type of priests who are great at 
you know, oratory and sermons and all the rest of it. And he was he was that and he was very inspirational. But I mean he had the track record to back it up. He'd won ten Fiskiven Cups with Cork That's or right. in it. Actually it was incredible. Go yeah. on, yeah, give us yeah, that. So like he like he had an, an amazing tradition. Like he he he'd kind of masterminded St. Finn Bars Farm Ferris, Harty Cup wins and ten in a row with U C C in the Fitzgibbon. He'd been involved with a lot of these players uh, underage and on twenty one teams and he'd a great pedigree, like obviously but but at the same time he hadn't done it himself in the top job on his own if you know what I mean so he still had that I think to prove to himself um, but he brought in in fairness to himself like he backed uh, himself to you know to kind of delegate the draining I suppose to Jerry McCarthy who was a real legend of you know Cork Hurling to state the obvious he's there from 66 and a three in a row team in the 70s and you know that generation in 1990 you know looked up to him big time and then he was a great innovative tra- uh, trainer I suppose and um, he had the lads doing uh, you know, laps of the tunnel, kind of a parky queeve and kind of hot nights in in that you know really warm summer, and it was just a great combination that kind mm-hmm. of. Um, I suppose complemented each other. Like. I know. Said so we were going to talk about the footballers, and now we've got stuck into the hurling thing. But it's hard not to. And, and you know, you the falling out with Justin McCarthy because of what was written in the book or whatever. But he, I just he's, he seems like a man who could who could you know someone who's as I I don't mean to disrespect him to say <laughs> flighty, but you know he was asked in uh, after the hurlers had won, he was asked in to say mass for the footballers on the eve of the of the football yeah. final, and Billy Morgan had said all he could say, and he just wanted it to be you know straightforward, and he does a fifteen minute thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> He did, yeah. He took but, the then, but, right. but then got the huff that he was never asked to do any of the further masses. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> disappointed. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, brilliant. Um, was he? Uh, had he left us before you wrote the book? Yeah, he died a few years ago. He. Um, so how did you get his story? Who was it? Well, I spoke to people around him basically uh, um, as much as I could. There was a lot. He kind of had done a lot of interviews, obviously over the years. Um, wife old English teacher actually Tim Horgan uh, had written a couple of books which I referenced a lot um, but then it was just trying to get a sense of the players really and uh, you know people who'd faced him you know like people like Sir Farrell and Babs Keating who'd, who were contemporaries of his were happy to who he remember. went off drinking with after they, they won in <laughs> yeah it was Nicky English yeah he oh, kind of went yeah. yeah he was um this was Nick English was in those UCC. I think he won four in a row of the ten, like as mm-hmm. a player. So they were, and actually, Father O'Brien married Nick English and his wife not long before that right. came. You referenced, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, he was a hero, and like the players still, you know, they won't hear a bad word said against no, him. He, no. he was amazing man. Right. Um, we did delve into into the the hurling side of things, and actually, you know, as you say all of that, and we say it, and there's me saying the football was the more interesting side of it. And sure, listen, there, there's there's just some of the stories involved in in the hurling side of it, which is as interesting as anything. Um, so, you know, f- hurling does shine brighter than football in yeah. in, in Cork, and Kerry uh, had had such a strong side, uh, dominating right through the eighties. Uh, and uh, more or less right through the 80s, up until yeah. the, the end of the 80s anyway, and Mick O'Dwyer at the helm, um, how were Cork going to come in and try to... Because I think, they, they st- wasn't there a story that they stole one uh, of the matches along the way? Yeah, like, I think they were, like, Kerry put together four in a row, then lost one and put another four in a row together, whatever it was. So they they were off the back of four and in a row. And that's all Ireland's? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, like... Never mind Monsters, Munster. yeah. They, like, I mean, Cork won in eighty. Three, I suppose, a yeah, monster, and they got out of it. Yeah, um, but otherwise, yeah, it was you know a lot of hard luck stories, really. Like, and there was generations of Cork players that never really had any success against Kerry. Like, um, so yeah, then I suppose Billy Morgan came in in late '86, and he had the kind of imprimatur of beating Kerry and winning an All Ireland in '73. And he's a born winner. He, you know, he'd done it with Nemo, 
the college, you know, he'd gone to New York and kind of studied modern training techniques. So he came in and it was, you know, when I was writing the book, it felt like a heist movie, the way he'd kind of blended like new talents from under 21s, asked some old timers like Danny Allen back for one last job. You know, he got people like Dave Barry to, you know, he got got into kind of mix the soccer with Guy the Ritchie in to do the <laughs> exactly, yeah. knock stock and two smoking yeah. barrels we're going to get the team back together <laughs> but, but you're right it was about getting characters back into yeah. the team um, do you think he was did he know the holes he needed to fill or was it just he could see who was out there and say if I can get them back because you know yeah. Dave Barry's one yeah. um, and there was Dinny Allen who he'd know well I suppose like obviously he knew Dinny Allen well from playing with him um, but like he was still getting picked for like Railway Cup games for Munster even though he wasn't playing for Cork like he was a serious player even though he was his late 30s last stage and then there was probably a bit of opportunism in that he basically convinced Larry Tompkins and Chef Ahi to, to join um, so Chef Ahi was a soldier But that was the West Cork connection that they had from New York I think to yeah. a degree wasn't it? That was with Larry yeah he was in New York and he'd uh, been working with a, a couple of brothers from Castlehaven and when he when he came home he was he was playing with the club he actually played his first Cork game before he played a game for Castlehaven and, that, as it turned and, out. and married a girl from there is it? Yeah that's right yeah so he, and he, he ultimately was Cork captain in 1990 because Castlehaven won in 89 like um, so he was a huge addition and, and that he, pro- he was probably one of those holes that was needed and he was a free taker and then Chef Ahi was from Kildare as well but um, it was probably a bit more organic in that he was a soldier stationed in, in Cork and he just scoffed it up with a travel. yeah so yeah. then you have two massive players there like especially uh, when you hope against Mead and they, they have that kind of track record of playing against them and that's they, what drove the Mead well whatever about the players but the fans mad yeah. um, they really yeah. hated that and it just seemed I suppose more so even then against the GA traditions yeah, completely. And the vitriol was was massive. Like uh, there was one particular game. I think it was the the league semi final up in Croke Park, and it was a you know it was a bitter bitter rivalry. And this game was particularly a standout, like for the the hits and the off the ball stuff. And Larry Tompkins recalls, and Billy, Billy was mentioning it to me as well. You know the the abuse that they took from the the Mead fans afterwards. They kind of hung around waiting because they wanted to kind of let them know that this perceived. Um, you know, as you say, kind of breaking of the unwritten rules was was anathema to them. Like, but Cork fans completely accepted those those players straight away. Like, they proved that they were completely committed to the jersey, and you know, they're, they're Cork legends now. Like, well, seemingly Larry Tompkins was like a serious operator training wise, and and like yeah. like brought standards on. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair to say. Like, he he was, I think probably at this at that stage he was like obsessed with his own game really, and he just spent so much time like training as you say and perfecting the various skills particularly free taking I think later on probably he became more of a, a leader for the whole panel really like, but I suppose it's natural that he was at that stage um, focused on himself but yeah he did insane stuff like the, the fitness levels were off the charts like like there was one particular episode um, he was injured and he, he Frank Murphy I think or the Cork County Board anyway got him off to Old Trafford and the Cliff in it's Manchester and the Alex Ferguson and the United staff took care of him and I think they were even impressed with the the standard of fitness was just um, incredible from an amateur player. Uh, so, so they've t- and actually you do link it in the book to that about knocking them off their effing perch in yeah. the Alex Ferguson quote re-Cork and Kerry. Yeah. Um, so so how was that plotted? So Shea Fahey's brought back in Larry Tompkins, Dinny Allen, Dave Barry not yet at that point. Uh, that's as a result of him yeah. and his 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 his. his individual spirit of why can't I play football yeah, admire, uh, of both yeah. sides of both codes yeah exactly so I think both Dinny Allen and, and Dave Barry missed out on 87 Cork ultimately lost kind of fair and square I 
you know, relatively speaking, in that final. But then they came back. And you're, talking May, uh, you're talking me, oh, do you? sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah but I want to bring you, yeah. Okay, like, yeah. Kerry, Kerry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Kerry were, were top dogs, obviously. Um, like, Billy probably poured every kind of bit of preparation into beating them. And um, ultimately, down the park, uh, Mikey Sheehy scored a goal late on and it felt like the kind of not, not this again type of story it was like the typical Kerry coming and getting away with it and then Cork will be as the narrative had gone be beaten in Killarney but in the dressing room Well like because it took them a few years obviously they they, they, yeah. they they lost down like how many years no, at the helm first, did it take Billy to, to No they went straight away ultimately so he came in late 86 and 87 they, they drew the first game in the park and then they went down and to And that Killarney. goal you're referring to is like this ghost goal that no one knows how it managed yeah. to, they'd beaten them off the park and then yeah. out of nowhere there's a stolen draw yeah. but yeah. Well, maybe I'm stealing your story am I? No. Well yeah you. Well, I think you're right in that like, it was the trip down to Killarney yeah, that galvanised the yeah, team. I think they needed it. And the players would have told me that. They, they needed to kind of almost have that kind of gauntlet. So, the, But even at, you know, 10 minutes after the, the, that goal went in, they were in the dressing room and kind of hyping themselves up and hopping a ball off each other and saying, we're going to go to Killarney and finish this job, which was, in fairness, probably a change from what it was in the past. And, and it was them that kind of picked Billy Morgan up, really. And um, they didn't do much that week, really. I don't think, and then they just went down there and absolutely demolished Kerry, really, relatively speaking. Like, and that was a, a huge day, really, when you consider the, the rest of the the four year journey or five year, whatever way you put it. And do you think Billy Morgan went into the Kerry dressing room and congratulated the second best team in the country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he took the opportunity, right, to kind of because uh, isn't that the famous Mick, no, yeah. Mick O'Dwyer line? Yeah, yeah. So over the years, Mick O'Dwyer would have come in and kind of. Um, I suppose patronised Cork really by kind of saying a year you're the best or the second best rather team in the country and a kind of demeaned Dublin as well who were kind of their their main main rivals at the time. Um, so yeah, the Cork team definitely took the opportunity to enjoy the day. Like Billy Morgan famously said, even though he told me he didn't necessarily say this, uh, you know, fuck the bus and they, they walked down to Clarny Town and. They had, you know, obviously a good night, and they went back to McCroom and then back to town. Like, although a few of them ended up in the Dingle Peninsula as well, like drinking with Paddy O'Shea. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that was a famous night, and they were up and running, and that was them, like convinced. But did it, like, it's you know, you mentioned Babs Keating and Nicky English and 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 the Cannon, and uh, like the connections between all of these bitter rivals is interesting too. Who is it married into Kerry Kerry aristocracy? Football yeah. aristocracy. Colin O'Neill, yeah, who was one of the heroes of, of 90, although he was ultimately sent off in the final, but he, he kicked 11 points in the Munster final against Kerry in 1990. Yeah, he married um, Mars Fitzgerald's sister and who, whose father, as well as Nedo, uh, Ned Fitzgerald, who would be a, you know, He's a good footballer, to say the least, in his own right. Like so, uh, has a number of Celtic crosses in the back yeah, pocket. as yeah. a reference in the book, uh, and got um, bad advice though one day, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose Colin O'Neill would be known as like an excellent player, um, strong man, great footballer, but he wouldn't have been the one you'd put top of the queue for fighting fellas. But Ned O'Sullivan, yeah, um, as Colin told me one night. Uh, he said, "You know, if a fella comes at you, just drag him down, and you won't get sent off. You'll you'll just get a, you know, ticking off maybe from the referee." So he did that, um, and he was sent off for that. Like, um, and then yeah, fast forward to nineteen ninety, and um, I think McLean's was giving him a lot of it, and he just re- retaliated. He was the top of the queue at that stage, and he was the one who was sent off. But um, yeah, great player. But in, in well, not in his defence, but McLean subsequently said that despite it only being something like twenty four minutes. He said he's never had a harder time, and he was he was busted yeah. for like his, his he was broke for the game after. Even though he yeah. was the free man, he did nothing. Yeah, he he was pretty 
uh, I suppose, invisible afterwards for whatever reason. And that's probably on Sean Boylan as well, to be honest. He should have made a switch there. Like, But um, but yeah, you're right. Like, Colm O'Neill cracked the crossbar. He scored a point, I think. Um, he had him run ragged. Like, and I don't know, was he just psyched up or whatever? He was kind of sick in the build-up to that with a virus, he says. And... Um, he was pretty quiet. Silent beforehand. on the train journey yeah, up. Yeah, Never so. spoke a word. But people, like, you can imagine, like, you, you're you on the road for four years, like, and this is the kind of, the big bad monster and you want to get over them and you're just wired and everybody is talking each other up. To be honest with you, to your credit, Adrian, I, I mean, I honestly did get a, a sense in reading it. You know, you, I mean, like, I, I've not been anywhere close to anything like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you, you could, you know, you, I was able to kind of, a little bit feel in the minds of the players on the night, you know, and on all of that build up and all that attention and that whole story, and and yeah. you know, you're just kind of thinking like, whoa, it 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 must be very intense. Uh, one of the players I think spoke about, um, you know, being very nervous until oh, the the lad that came in from the states, yeah, Danny Cullity, yeah, he was another one who was kind of, um, you know, part of that heist movie first act, <laughs> like where Billy kind of plucked him. He was, um, you know, he grew up in San Francisco. Uh, with, you know, from kind of a Cork, North Cork family and he ended up back in, in North Cork and he was playing football at a certain level and he eventually went up to under 21 and he got a shot he, he, he was probably on the bench around 89 but he, he started um, yeah in midfield I think yeah in 1990 for the footballers then and he had a great game like Chef I got four points but it was Danny Cullity as well who was kind of feeding him the ball and, and winning those high His fielding battles. seemed to be the thing, was yeah, it? Yeah, that was it. He was, uh, but he spoke about being, you know, bricking it. Like this was, he dreamt of this in the, back yeah, over in the imagine, States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and here he was going out yeah. behind the Artane boys band, but that the roar of the core crowd settled it all and he yeah. was almost like, okay, here we go. Yeah, which is what you want, isn't it? I suppose like he, he was, as you say, you set the scene while he was kind of walking behind the, the band and you can almost imagine walking behind your teammates and the colour and... Well, you could go one or two ways. Yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, he said he's heard the roar from the core crowd. I think it was on the hill. And it was just like a trigger and the nerves just fell out of him and he was like, okay, let's go. I suppose, do you know what, if you have the preparation done, it's easy for me to say, but yeah, I, you'd imagine yeah. if you have the work done and you kind of feel, look, I'm surrounded by guys who are going to back me up here. And it just, I think, like Larry Tompkins now again, he said, and Mick Sloco maybe taught me that it was the most focused group of people ever. Like they were just kind of not going to lose that game. It was just a psychological thing almost. So like, then they went out and had to do it, obviously. And the they had to white, do it with 14 the, men. The white heat of battle. I mean, it just, uh, yeah... It would be um, bollock tightening. Yes, yeah, I can't imagine it. Um, Jesus, I mean, that's why the stories are so uh, uh, engaging, I guess, is because there is all that history, there's the tradition, there's the colours, there's the fans, there's the in, the out, the media, the, the yeah. you know, and it all comes down to walking out on a pitch and, and actually having to do it. And the added um, pressure, I suppose, on the footballers was... That's that probably the fun time, though, I suppose. Yeah, you get to black it up, yeah. and Because they were... You can imagine the hype, like either to that fortnight between this date, let's say, yeah. as we're recording, and a fortnight's time, the city. I, I kind of remember as a kid, you know, it was bananas. Like, and you can imagine the the footballers trying to insulate themselves from that hype and just get the job done against their arch rivals. So it was almost a blessing that they could just focus on these these guys that they didn't like, really. The sunny summer of 1990 when the Prince played in the park, which was to, to the chagrin of many yes, around yeah. the city, uh, and the sun shone, and uh, Cork won all round them in, in, in almost everything from, from Neptune to yeah. uh, the only fly in the ointment was Dundalk winning in Turner's Cross in 91, the end yeah. of that season. But like, Tom McDulty goal, and, yeah. <laughs> I remember that well. Um, Neptune did a double, as you say. Yeah, there was various victories, and it was it was Cork's summer, nineteen ninety. No question about that. Um, the 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 bus one I love because it was something like they were so they were they'd beaten Kerry in Killarney. They they gotten the who they were over the hoodoo, and um, someone was they were saying, "Oh, we have to hang on, <laughs> we have to hang on for the bus." 
fuck the bus yeah, we'll walk into yeah. town yeah. and you can you almost imagine man, and seemingly there's some story of Dutch tourists or something is there yeah the Dutch oh yeah, like, it was great kind of as a project just getting into the nitty gritty of this place and time and these little stories kind of make themselves known to you so like yeah there was some Dutch sto- uh, tourists outside uh, Max Winnie's bar there and they asked the guard like is this a festival or something <laughs> yeah, it's like, no it's the match like and you can imagine the, the Cork players with their blazers over their shoulders walking down the hill into the town like and just kind of enjoying a, a good day's work really and the relief of it and the Cork you can from my point of view imagine that day as a Cork supporter like after so many years of heartache or whatever down there and just going for the day trip but like Cork fans be magnanimous <laughs> <laughs> well there there's examples of that throughout the book alright like but uh, yeah that, yeah you can imagine there wasn't you don't have to ask him too too much to to kind of take the piss a bit, all right? Like I'm, I'm sure, but it sounds like a great day in Clarny. And like you can imagine what the scenes would be like now, but in 1990 it feels like it would have been a, a wilder. Like Ireland was a very different place. Yeah, back then. it's true. <laughs> yeah, it was. It did feel that, and that came across in, in you know the kind of you mentioned Prince and stuff like, and um, it was a different country, wasn't it? Like yeah. all the kind of controversy around mm. like the perceived sexual on Parky Creep and the hollow turf there and then it was Italian 90 was wrapped up with it as well and it was like an uh, innocent uh, summer like. the new um, <laughs> what, there's, there's so many great lines in this in the book uh, who was the, the new county chairman was he Dennis Conroy yeah yeah uh, and you know what? It took Cork a hundred years to do yeah, this. It, it took, took Tennessee Conroy, <laughs> two, <laughs> two, two months weeks, yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah. um, but he was sort of a bit of a dyed in the wool. You know, like what? What did you describe in the book as? Um, he was a traditionalist. Ban era. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair to say. Like um, he was a traditionalist, definitely, and the real kind of, you know, Cork County boards man. Like um, so, yeah, there was like very. Ireland exams. was in transition at yeah. that time. Yeah, and and it was it was still very firmly in the the more traditional conservative side of things. Although change yeah. was coming, and seeing Billy Morgan out and the boys playing football, yeah, exactly, <laughs> soccer. Yeah. yeah, like so. Billy threw in a soccer ball, and then it was Ole Ole chance. Exactly, and, yeah, and there was like Nessun Dorman with the airtime band yeah. or whatever. Like, and uh, yeah, um, Dennis Conroy said he was going to ask Prince about the the content of the show and stuff, you know. So yeah, these <laughs> the Lord, Wa- Lord Mayor wouldn't go up to meet him. No, Chrissy Arn, I think wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, she was offended on, which is fair enough on the on behalf of the children of Cork or whatever. And Joe Duffy set up a soapbox on Princess Street and was kind of well, he was the people up, yeah, yeah, big time, yeah. So. um yeah, it was a mad time, like yeah. So we, we're we're hopping all over the place. Look, lads, the story is 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 in the book in more coherent fashion than perhaps the conversation. But um, so fuck the bus, um, <laughs> they're down in Killarney, and and we we alluded to it already. Uh, the big horizon was Kerry, and and it's, it's understandable. But there was a further horizon to come that maybe yeah, maybe it was the psych psychologically. Yeah, uh, they weren't ready for that next step, having having overcome yeah. such a big one. I think so. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't. Yeah, but various players said that was probably the case that they were just so focused, and maybe it was subconscious as much as anything. But that um, they were happy with beating Kerry, and that was an achievement in itself. Like, um, and then they hadn't faced them before, and Mead, in fairness, were probably a year down the the track ahead of them. Like they had lost to Kerry in the final year before that, so they had kind of you know they'd lost their one to win one, if you know what I mean. So. Uh, they were beaten fair enough then and then but 88 is when the whole relationship if you want me to skip on to that um, in the the league game yeah um, was it even before that no it would have been when they got to the final so let's make it clear to people anyway so so Cork have overcome Kerry they've lost to to Meath in the first of four uh, All-Ireland football finals and then in 88 they get they managed they beat Kerry straightforwardly enough I suppose 
Carrier kind of bust the flush at that stage really that era is over was um, was that the season um, of the, the January friendly down in uh, no, that was is nine, that the next year again yeah okay probably, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that yeah. that, was a, that was a fun one I, I enjoyed that aspect of it um, so then they get back basically by hook or by crook anyway to the final and it's meet again and this is kind of where it goes oh, toxic and, oh they left it behind them yeah so they they play really well Um and then ultimately they're reeled in and they miss a great goal chance and they're reeled in and uh, but then like Larry Tompkins um, puts over a late free which you know Dave Barrier thinks is the last kick of the game because he's been he says told by the referee that it is he jumps on Larry Tompkins back then the ball goes out uh, goes out for a sideline ball that got players think it should yeah it should go the other way the ball is played in David Beggy the mid forward Former rugby player goes to the ground and there's a barely soft, touched. Yeah, you know there's a 40 meter free in. Cork players are it's, and it's a carry ref. Yeah, <laughs> Tommy Suger who kindly spoke to me as well from Tralee Blennerville. Uh, he says still it's a free like every player yeah. and you know yeah his explanation Morgan. of it after when he went through the various incidents he he yeah. he, he stands he over gave, he gave a good defence of himself in yeah. fairness it, I think the line you know, there was a lot of bad blood over how. Meath came back to win it. Yeah, so like in the intervening fortnight, it's also a replay basically. Oh yeah, blown yeah, up. Then, yeah. a, then in the intervening fortnight, Billy Morgan probably tells his team to kind of let's play ball, and at the same time, Sean Boylan and the Meath players are deciding we're going to go up a level. And the, the next game is a bloodbath by all accounts. Well, I've watched it, and it is well, a tough well, game. Well, yeah, but but seemingly the GA president, yeah, in his um, opening speech to them, yeah, John Dowling, he was horrified by it. Like the, you can imagine the the newspapers, like in those days. Um, the players, both sets of players, met the next day and made him jail for a luncheon type thing, and um, doesn't happen anymore. So the GA president made a speech, and you know, usually this is very obviously pleasant and all the rest of it. But he kind of made clear that he was appalled and embarrassed by what went on the day before, and um, yeah, me players were offended by that. Cork players weren't didn't want to be there anyway; they just wanted to get the train home, and um, you know, there, there was just a lot of bad blood then kind of happening or developing I suppose the war between the, the two panels at that stage so it went from a normal rivalry I think to probably going up a few levels and that, that like there was various incidents then afterwards with the you know the following year I think probably they, they're both staying in the same hotel in the Playa de Inglis ah, and that's right uh, <laughs> how pan- does that happen I know <laughs> so they both the both panels went on holidays and both landed in the same hotel at the same time yeah and they just decided consciously or not to, not to talk to each other like various players you now like Liam Hayes and Larry Tompkins said they did speak I think Billy Morgan had a ch- drink and a chat with one of the players the meat players at one stage but generally speaking mm-hmm. if you went into a lift and there was a meat player <laughs> next day you just looked at the ceiling was, was how it was put to me or like if they were in the deep end we were in the shallow end or whatever yeah, like yeah. it seems silly no but they really didn't like each other I suppose <laughs> Um, you need that for a proper rivalry, yeah, though, yeah, don't you? definitely, like, absolutely. And th- do you know it's different times as well. There wasn't like lads know these days. Players are like in university together, or mm. they're on social media, you know, on each other's Instagrams. Put it that way. Mm. There's a lot more contact, but these guys didn't know each other really. Like you know, Larry Tompkins did, and Chef Ahi knew a few of them. Um, but generally, they were strangers, and they just didn't like the way they played ball. Um, and then there was that league game. League semi final later on, where it was just vicious stuff, and um, and in fairness, like me, uh, probably the worst reputation. Do they for for yeah? Like when I was young, they were like the the boogeyman type thing, weren't they? Like I mean, it was like if you don't do your homework, 
so like uh, but that so they've lost two finals in a row to Meath um, and and left one behind them were, were robbed out of it as as it's seen and then and then beaten out of it in the replay um, I just like that Kerry story of so they brought back a few because the you know having having banished the hoodoo uh, you know, the, the, and the story on Kerry is that they did not replaced their their legendary team. That you know, they were so strong for so long that they hadn't blooded new pe- players in. So when yeah. it broke, it was very hard to fix it. That it, there was nothing coming through. Yeah, exactly. You can imagine that always happens, doesn't it? Like, uh, although Kilkenny have managed to avoid it over the years, yep. like it, it's yep. it's hard to tell Paddy O'Shea or Pat Spillane you're not playing this year, and we're going to bring to a young guy and give him a chance. So like, and, and at the same time, they were winning all Ireland's, even though they were probably. Um, Regressing a little bit over the years, but they were still putting wins together. So it's hard for Mick O'Dwyer, as it was at the time, to to change things. And, and Mickey Nero Sullivan, who ultimately succeeded him, did did warn him at one stage, like this is going to be, you know, hard for the next man, which he was ultimately. And, and seemingly he Mickey, said, like I don't care what the next man or whatever. Like, that, that's you know, for the next man yeah, to worry about. Yeah, so. Um, <laughs> So, Although yeah. exactly, you know, I think your legacy as a manager is not just what you've done, but also how you've handed it on. I think. Well, yeah, what do I again? What do I know? But look, that's what this looks like from the yeah. from the outside. But um, so so eighty eight, they lose again, and then eighty nine, they bring a few of the the old heads back in, and they do it. There's a challenge match yeah. down in Castletown Bear, yeah, and Kerry land off the bus, yeah, as as Larry remembers it, yeah, like um, like Kerry had earmarked this as like, okay, we're going to put down a marker on McCudwire wanted to win this one even though it was just an opening of a pitch I think below in as you say Castellon Bear was it so like um, but like as Larry Tompkins remembers it and I should say actually Dennis Hurley and, and Larry Tompkins have a new book out and I'm sure there's a lot more detail on a lot of these stories and it'd be great reading looking forward to it so yeah Larry kind of hopped up on the table and kind of warned uh, he, I think he got word that this was something that the Kerry lads were earmarking as a, as a win and they were going to set down a marker this year like um so it was played basically like a Munster final in front of a small crowd in a small little pitch or whatever like and they went hammer and tongs and Cork beat them off the pitch and he thinks that's the day that maybe Kerry were put in their box once and for all like and, and they've kind of overcome them like that's why I wanted to get that story out because <laughs> even even as a blow into Cork I find that pleasurable yeah. to hear <laughs> um, so that was so that okay and that's uh, 89 so we're, we're, we're 89 in now uh, the league semi-final like me it's it's a bloodbath again the league semi-final was 90 actually so oh, oh, so okay. Billy Morgan got down his hands or, you know, got down his knees oh, and said right. I hope we meet them in the final which they did so in 89 um Dublin beat me actually in the Leinster final, so they didn't even get out of Leinster as it ah, happens. Okay. And and Mayo, and Mayo came Dublin. through, yeah, and uh, they were. And that was Mayo's first. Oh, and listen, <laughs> tell the story about O'Connell Street and the Cork fans. <laughs> oh, so was, Mayo, uh, the, you know, we all know the story of Mayo. Still haven't won one yeah. since '57, and this was the first time they were back in since then, or whatever yeah, exactly. the year is. So yeah, like Cork hadn't won one since '73, I suppose, is it? But they'd been at least around the place since '87, '88. Um, so yeah, some Cork fan approached uh, the, a group of Mayo lads and said. Um, are you looking for Nelson's pillar or whatever? They blew him up in whatever year it was. 66. Like, yeah. Um, so like, yeah, they were on a wind up, weren't they? But, um, but they were a great team. Like, they were kind of unlucky. Um, like Mick Slocum made a point that like they were kind of probably built up by Cork to be bigger than they were because you know Cork losing another one like that would be three in the trot, obviously, and that would be kind of game psychologically over. Like, yeah. hard to come back from that. Yeah. And Billy, you know, Morgan him says himself he'd be gone probably if that was staged, and a lot of players probably would have went to that stage. Like, so the whole thing was on the line, really. Even though it wasn't me, like the the whole kind of group 
knew that this was really really important like um and it was a lot of nerves like and you know, at the same time, probably those guys are winding up the lads outside uh, a pub on O'Connell Street to, to kick Ronan and decided that, you know, as he was wanting to do, like they need settling down here. So he sang the banks or whatever, going up O'Connell Street and settle everybody down. And, um, you know, but they saying that, like, you know, we're in control for a while, but um, they, they nearly let it slip, I suppose. Um, there was a couple of goal chances for Mayo and they got out of. They got away with it at that stage and then they kicked on again and they were a better team, really, in, in truth. Like, and. Um, but like a lot of the players would say that, you know, it was a massive obviously an all around win like but they still they hadn't beaten Mead along the way, like so they it was still that monkey on the back. Well, okay, yeah. so we've we've three All Ireland football finals. Cork have lost two on the bounce to Mead. They've won uh, against Mayo, having nearly let it slip, but finally the monkey's off the back in that regard. Let's pause that story now because it's the footballers complete the double. So before we get to the nineteen ninety part of it and the and the you know, please Lord, please Lord let it be me <laughs> which is brilliant. Um let's go back to the hurlers so and build back up a bit. We've talked a bit about the cannon, but let's happily talk a bit more on and how himself and Gerald McCarthy were a great mix as a management team. But you opened the book with a a story of of a character I didn't know about and you referenced him there, the kid Cronin. Um that's a brilliant backstory there too, isn't it? Yeah, he was someone who was really Interested in um, I'm from that neck of the woods myself, so I've been aware of him as a kid um, myself. Um, and then it was just like when I interviewed every player, it was just a question to kind of start off it because I was, you know, it was a fun question. And you talk about the kid, and then I kind of realised, you know what, there's something bigger here, and he he's a massive part of this story. Like so, um, he's like the special sauce, yeah, of of both teams. Yeah, yeah. I hope that comes across. Like he kind of pulled everything together a little bit. He was. If people don't remember, he was a masseuse. Like he was a professional boxer in his youth. Like um, he went to England and he fought in what were they called the boots. Like so, basically, traveling circuses for for boxers, and they'd kind of have a roll up routine with guys coming from the the crowd and fighting for a five or whatever. And then he came back and he was involved the the Glen Boxing Club and the Glen Hurling Club in Saint Nick's, and then he was brought it by Donia Donovan in 1973 to the footballers, cock footballers. So Billy Morgan would have known him, and he was there in the meantime as well with the both sides like and he, so he knew generations of, of players and he was beloved really and just a very funny man like with a great manner like especially in a dressing room maybe with like somebody like Billy Morgan and Father O'Brien who are you know had to be the way they were and you know determined to overcome these barriers like, like Kerry, Mead, Tipperary, whoever like so like the, you kind of need that yin and yang don't you I suppose like and he was someone who had a you know, huge knowledge. He was, he, you know, he kind of knew Christy Ring well, and he kind of traded off that and those stories, especially for the younger players like, like John Fitzgibbon, and he knew all the kind of. He brought people back down to earth, or he built them up if they had a bad day, like and people like Danny Cullity and others who are kind of trying to break into various teams. Remember, kind of acts of kindness and various words of encouragement on the way back, like in players like Tomas Wakai and Tony Sullivan used to pick him up outside of Glen Hall, and you know he'd have a drink with you know players, and he'd always have a joke and his own ways like so um so he pulled it together like definitely and he as well as that like he he was a good for a ball hop with the likes of the cannon and whoever like and kind of a wise crack here and there like so f- from my point of view he was a, a dream like <laughs> uh, uh, i'm just looking here now too on the way to Munster hurling final against tip in park uh, down the park cork bus snaking its way through the rainy streets o'brien had adopted adapted a ucc chat who are we cork 
and all of this. So this particular day, sensing a side needed to boost their energy levels, O'Brien stood at the door, began as, who are we? Uh, Cronin, who'd assisted with the Fitzgibbons Cups over the years, sitting in the centre of the back row, UCC! Um, and the, and the st- give, give us the T-shirt story over on uh, over on the, the Canary yeah. Islands, is it? Yeah, just on that story, because yeah, yeah, that, that says a lot actually as well, Like that, because the whole bus you know, broke down and laughed or... Breaks the tension. Yeah, but then he knew, like, the cannon probably got a bit odd, maybe, you know, understandably, so then he kind of knew, looking at the rescue this and he sang the banks or whatever he sang after. Beautiful city. Beautiful city, and, you know, he got the whole thing going again and um, kind of focused people, which was what the cannon was trying to do anyway, like, you know, so he he, he was, I think, without knowing the man, he seemed really emotionally intelligent and he knew exactly what was needed in various dressing rooms, like, having been a corner man in, in, in boxing rings, if you know what I mean, so he, he kind of had that intuition. So but then, the, yeah, very people talk about the other trips to the States and there was one trip to uh, the Canaries as well for whatever holiday they had and um, he turned up with a Don't Mess With The Kid Cronin uh, <laughs> t-shirt and he, he was going around with the you know, the, the, the handkerchief on the head or whatever, like kind of Grandad Trotter type thing or whatever. So um, he just, you know, he was a lightning rod for the crack really, but he, he was, you know, usually respected and... Uh, What's the word valuable? I suppose really he he did bring a lot to this camp, like uh, you know, there long enough to see the the dawn of actual psychologists or the pathologists. Is he? Yeah. Jeez, lads, I think the pathologists are here again tonight. <laughs> um, I know he's some brilliant stories and how he barely put the oil on. There'd be no so yeah. Frank Co- and and but it was yeah. th- th- there's something about that too about how it was skillfully done. Yeah, so I suppose at that stage he was an Frank old man, Hogan like, being brought in. Yeah, yeah. So Frank Hogan was you know part of that '73 football team. He was, I suppose, as well, uh, Billy Morgan's brother-in-law and um, a brilliant defensive tactician. So he was brought in. Um, so I suppose Billy Morgan asked him, I think, according to Coleman Corrigan, if if the kid would essentially just teach um, Frank, basically, how to do the massaging. And they did it together then in those years. And then the jokes were that you know the kid would just be quoting you at that stage but he wasn't giving you a proper rub so you'd be kind of running around in circles or, <laughs> yeah, or one leg would be a lot more powerful I suppose than the other afterwards like if you were getting Frank and kid on, on either leg No you did a great job with the kid and it's a great start to the book that because it really brings you into the whole kind of thing and uh, um, is it Dinny Allen telling the story about the uh, one of the natural comedians of the team the train journey uh, when they were playing a game of Hold'em the kid's playing his custom game of Hold'em yeah, he liked the game of Don and Blackpool, I know, as well. And he often kind of said, I need to get back to Blackpool for a game of 45 or Don or whatever. But yeah, they were playing that day. And uh, I suppose it just showed, I suppose the point that Dini Allen was making was that he had a very young mind and a great sense of humour. And Dini told him a joke about... Um, Whatever the joke was, the punchline was you know a Kerry, Kerry man. Kerry in the uh, they found this, yeah. a skeleton of a Kerry man in, the <laughs> in a false wall or something. Yeah, yeah. With a hide and seek champion, nineteen thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, and he said literally the kid was laughing for three hours to Dublin. He couldn't couldn't stop. Um, yeah, and but that's where he was. I think in his element, where he was kind of amongst the players, like and um, like people like like Kieran McGuckin and John Fitzgibbon, Mark Foley. You know these young players that like a lot of them relied on him, and that word of encouragement went a long way. I suppose like. Uh, so he's a character. I mean, we, we've talked a bit about the canon and by all means, um, you know, carry on with him. because <laughs> Yeah, well, he was just a massive part of it, wasn't he? The key, like really, in a lot of ways, like um, he was a usually charismatic man, um, you know, a priest from Inishannon who was then um, in Carrigaline. He had been in Black Rock before that, um, you know, just fanatic really for hurling. You know, one of these men who just lived for hurling, um 
youth success with St. Finbars and Farm Forest uh, and then UCC as we've said like and then um, involved with various Cork underage teams after he was involved with Cork in 84 and the senior team and um, just <laughs> just a massive character like kind of um, he kind of barked like Mark Foley who would have known him from school all the way up so 12 all the way up he would have played with him and been taught by him really he kind of makes the point um, you know his bark was a lot worse than his bite or whatever and he kind of he did bark at people in this kind of staccato way and kind of gave you instructions and expected you to do what he said and he had a philosophy in hurling it was like the 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 pitch was divided up into you know in his mind various grids and every man had to win their own battle and that was essential that you had to kind of you know it was almost like a mathematical problem if, if eight of us win our battles then we win the game basically like so um but just a massive personality I suppose uh, and he was determined to wake fellas up seemingly at half time yeah well yeah there was a few raw words at half time as he said himself and he did probably more than that as well he gave one player a dig I think <laughs> so it was put by various players um, he was fond of a, a bucket of yeah. yeah he dragged a few players into the like talk were bad in that first half and Joe Cooney had run riot really like and so he dragged a few players into the shower area and threw a bucket of water over them and told them to take off their shorts and all the rest of it and he was looking for a reaction like and he was um, you know it was goes back to that kind of psychology stuff that he was interested in like and um, he just then he kind of gathered everyone on in a tight kind of circle and he held a, a cock jersey in his hand and he, and as various players told me like he was crying basically and he was saying go there and do it for for Cork and your families and for me and um, like like to, to most high sticks in my mind, he says that the, he would have run through a wall at that stage, and the, the other players are the same. Like, and he said there was something special. Like you can kind of roll your eyes now at it, and maybe some players were, but like I think um, he definitely had that charisma, and he convinced people to go win. And they were five points on a half time, and it went to seven, so it didn't work immediately. But then Cork did get on top, like, and there was various tactical switches as well. Obviously. And that's Galway in the final we're talking there. Yeah. Because we, so. we, we referenced the Derbies don't win donkeys one because it was yeah. tip they had to get over along the way too. And and yeah. they'd had a, a poor eighty nine. Like it, it it was not going yeah. well for, for Cork hurling. No, not at all it was at a very, very low ebb like they Cork had was there something that got done that season at the start of it that changed it, do you think? Um well they had lost to Waterford in eighty nine, which is you know, it wasn't the Waterford that we would know mm. know of, mm. you know. Mm the great tradition they have now I suppose like uh, so it was a shock and then the cannon came in and then he started building a team then as well I suppose like Tomas Wakahi John Fitzgibbon uh, Kevin Hennessy you know these big George Fitzgerald they hadn't been involved so he gets them back he starts it's almost same as Billy in the it's a psychological cultural shift really it's like reminding them of where they were from like that was part of the license you know even though the license play thing is funny it, it was like reminding like okay we have 26 all Irons here we have tradition you know that Jim oh, Tuff okay. Barry yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. like like it had maybe been forgotten or something yeah it's like let's get back to basics they they like Cork we are known. Cork exactly yeah which you know Dunlog would have shouted at later on in all our friends we are Cork and yeah. people can sniff at it but yeah. it, it, oh, no, you know, it was like a psychological yeah. thing wasn't like it like that's obviously where it comes from yeah exactly yeah. I wouldn't have known that yeah and and you know it was they, but they came from nowhere like Tipperary were huge favourites for that monster final like nobody gave outside the county anyway a chance and even within the county maybe um, but like um, you know he just convinced people basically that we have the pedigree and they did have serious players like and then he blended some great young players like Mark Foley who got 2-7 that day amazing day like he had um, he brought John Fitzgibbon back in who hadn't been there in 89 like amazingly like brilliant player then he brought in people like you know like Brendan O'Sullivan from 
uh, in a Shannon, you know, kind of he wouldn't be a classical hurler, but a player that the type of player that he loves, you know, that kind of big hearted and strong and committed and obviously a good hurler as well. Like but that kind of character he loved. Um you know, and then you had the remnants of you know, teams who'd won in eighty four and eighty six, so like they weren't mugs, we just needed to kind of be put to, back together, I suppose, a little bit. And Jerry McCarthy was on the line with him who was you know, a great thinker in the game and usually respected. So the the elements were there. It's surprising that people didn't kind of expect a bit of an ambush really against Tip like but they had an amazing day like and um like the Silver Fox does it again was the line from Nicky English and as he was walking off the field he kinda of knew that the Cannon's fingerprints were all over this win like yeah, that was uh, Antrim. Then was who what lay away in the in the yeah. semis and and uh, seemingly Cork fans barely travelled for it. Yeah, they it was, expected it was a formality. Yeah, like and which is probably unfair because like Antrim had shocked awfully. I think the year before that to get the All Ireland final against Tip and they were well beaten. Then I suppose, but they were a good team. Like, um, but uh, Cork got the job done basically. Like I think it was uh, business like. There was a bit to work on. Probably, um, it was good for some of the younger players to kind of get a look at uh, Croke Park. Like Mark Foley missed it, I think, because he was injured, so he had to watch from the sidelines. But like otherwise, the rest of the team got a a bit of a run out at Croke Park, which is less or was less frequent in those days with the backdoor stuff. Like so, uh, but then it was yeah, it was Galway up who were like the team of the eighties really. And if they had won this game, they could rightly say they were the team of you know. Um, the era, I suppose, like they, I think they were going for, I don't know, three and four, three and five All Irelands or something like that. Whatever, well, you know, they well, lost I, a couple as well. Like, yeah, I got brought to an All Ireland when I was a. Wow, jeez, I don't want to be revealing my age, but anyway, I was twelve at the time, I think, and it was, uh, I think, it was eighty six Galway Offaly, and we who were whoever we yeah. got the tickets from was Galway Connection, so we were supporting Galway yes. in the day, and Offaly won that one. Yeah, so um, that was eighty six. So then as well, like, and they'd won a couple, like, and. Uh, they probably felt that they were robbed in '89 with the Tony Keady thing, and they lost a the tip in the semi-final or whatever. So, what was the Tony Keady thing? He got suspended because oh. he played in America. You know, some technicality mm, yeah. and yeah. perceived injustice for Galway, basically. Mm. But um, a massive controversy, I suppose, for them. And so they'd lost in '89 as well. Yeah, they lost the semi-final in '89, but like if they got through that, they would have played Antrim. So it was like the oh, de facto yeah. final, basically. Yeah, was yeah, like yeah. we respect Antrim. Yeah. Um, they've won, you know, a couple. 87 and 88 maybe so they lost two in a row oh, in Cork yeah. yeah is that right yeah well they lost the semi-final in 89 then they lost the final in 90 they had won in 88 they probably won in 85 so yep. Um, yep. they were a serious team like yep. and they had a lot more pedigree than, than Cork at that stage um, and then yeah, in the first half Joe Cooney just whipped into him like, like although Kevin Hennessy scored the fastest goal which is still the oh, fastest yeah, goal oh yeah that's a great story I told yeah. that on air this evening <laughs> really? now actually because uh, yeah. I was doing numbers around it all and then I finished with and 48 is the number yeah, of seconds it right. took um, <laughs> but what's the story he says yeah, he says he sits down each year still and with a stopwatch because it was the record it's the fastest yeah, ever goal he, yeah like the ball came into him and he just flipped the home after 48 Stop seconds or whatever it was and he says he still sits down every year and then he turns to his family and says well I still have the record <laughs> still have it oh, I'd say. So, but, so even though Cork went ahead that like they were kind of um I don't know, overawed maybe is wrong, but I don't know, they, it was passing them by a little bit anyway, and um, they were five points down at half time, even though it could have been a lot more, like there could have been a few goals from no lane in particular, I think. Um, so then, yeah, they, the cannon and they got a hold of them. and But then at the same time, I mean, like it wasn't all fire on Bripstone, there, there was changes there, like the, Gerard Cunningham had a chat with his defence and they changed up the, the way the half forwards were kind of uh, receiving the ball and that, paid dividends like they were 
like the half back line took over in the second half and that was the platform I think for the for the win really they started dropping but like Cork ended up with five goals like John Fitzgibbon scored two Mark Foley got a, an all-around final goal after a brilliant season Kevin Hennessy you know um, so like like that team I think one of the reasons they're loved is obviously the double stuff like they you know they have that historic um, place but as well as that the, the way they played was just so brilliant like that second half was amazing to watch back they they just took goals wherever they could like they were bloodthirsty really and so 15, stylish wasn't it? yeah crazy stuff like and they needed every one of them they won by I think three points in the end but they needed all those goals like as you know uh, I think Kevin Hennessy makes that point like it wasn't just for sure like they needed goals and they got them like and um, like they were just such a stylish fast team you know in kind of the Cork tradition I'd like to think um, so yeah, it was amazing. It was a thrilling victory, really. Like, I mean, and Sarah Farr was, you know, particularly when I spoke to him, um, I suppose gracious is the word afterwards. Generous. Like, yeah, they they have probably cause for a complaint with the steps that John has given for one of the... Yes, but they were they were like, saying the referee was almost so enamoured with yeah, exactly, the, the yeah. style. Yeah, and he was such a stylish uh, player. Who did you say that, that was Fitzgibbon, no? Yeah, John Fitzgibbon, yeah. Yeah, he, actually, he, even, I like the cameo uh, yeah. he plays yeah. or has in the book, or, or at least the focus that you put on him, the enigma that yeah, he's Fitzy. Yeah, that's how they call it, yeah. yeah. He was an amazing player. Like he, I think he probably was probably my favourite player that time. Um, a Glenn Rovers player, like just a really... Stylish full forward or corner forward with Cork. He just loved scoring goals. He loved Christy Ring. He hated Tipperary. You know, he hated Kilkenny. <laughs> he um, he was a real kind of laconic, if that's the right word, um, funny, sharp kind of north side guy. You know, uh, and he he kind of he loved the ball hop with Kevin Hennessy and uh, the cannon and. He was just a brilliant player. Like he had no interest in playing against Kerry and Water for these players, and the players will laugh at times that he asked Charlie oh, he what who he was. Oh no, yeah, that's it. No, I'll get. To, um, well, it's, uh, you know what? We'll give you a bit of the book because uh, and oh, yeah. Tomas Mulcahy um, of his big brother role with Fitzgibbon. We'd go to training and we'd have a pint. Patrick Ski and Isaac Bells. I remember that pub well. Uh, I'd go into the house and his father would be there and Christy Ring Jr., son of the hurling legend, his brother Kieran, and the history of hurling and the way they talk about it. And they go back to the thirties and the forties and the fifties. You knew there was something special about them as a family about John and Kieran and his father Vince uh, you could feel hurling in the air when he walked into the place he could sense it former court goalkeeper Don Logue Cusack remembers when he walked into Thurless for instance he could feel hurling when he walked into Cloyne he could feel it hurling leaves something in the air only Don Logue could say something yes. like that um, <laughs> but the bit about him being cool as a cucumber and the Charlie Hawhey story is that uh, oh and him turning up like Eric Cantona <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was one of those players he did what he wanted you know, he wasn't one all for... stars banquet t-shirt yeah. and jeans <laughs> Yeah, he was, I think, pressed into a tuxedo. Folded into a tuxedo, <laughs> you have it. Really? Uh, yeah. And he, he was then named at left full forward, joining five other Cork players, awarded his piece of glass by then Taoiseach yeah. Charlie. Yeah, Hi. I think Charlie was momentarily distracted as yeah. he handed over the piece of glass, as you say, and he missed uh, John's... And who are name you? Ask, who are you? You can imagine it, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and John, and John Fitzgibbon, Fitzgibbon says, from Cork. Yeah, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I suppose that's something. Sort of, he had no respect for... Airs and graces, you know, like he he was brilliant, yeah. What a player, like, and he was I'd kind say of Charlie loved that, yeah. Ha, ha, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Who are you? I gotta yeah. have you taken out. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. But that, that is, and that's the thing that comes out of the book is is just all the characters, uh, and you tell the story really well. So, where are we now? Let me see. We've got, we've, we pretty much have the hurling done. Got with it, yeah. Um, um, so you know, so, so then the pressure is on the footballer. This, <gasps> yeah. So actually, let's get a bit of that. Yeah. So in the spe- actually, Tomas Mulcahy, the speech of his life. 
Yeah, so Tomas, amazing win. Uh, yeah, the cannon and ref- is getting... And references it. Yeah, so Tomas McCauley makes it up, Hogan steps, uh, despite the pandemonium, and he makes a speech and he says, yeah, we'll be back here on a fortnight to complete the double, which <laughs> I think he immediately thought, oh, I've put pressure on the footballers <laughs> here, but it went down obviously really, really well with the... Cork the Cork fans. fans like yeah and um, <laughs> Billy Morgan was, was sat in the Hogan stand and uh, some unnamed I'd love to know who it was some unnamed fan kind of climbed up the steps as he was leaving and tapped Billy on the shoulder and said it's down to you know and, and, and it really was like so like as the rest of the county kind of went into party mode for a fortnight the footballers had to kind of get back into their bubble apart from Teddy McCarthy who should, we should say <laughs> played a massive role in the hurlers win that day even though he, he was in and out of, because of injuries all year but he was there on the field that day he had to kind of get his head together after the celebrations and get back into that bubble with the footballers and prepare for for me. Like so, um, yeah. On the night of the homecoming in for the hurlers, the the footballers were playing Kerry and demolished them in a challenge game, and it was like, okay, game on here. We need to to dial it in for Mead. So I think the pressure was, and as Nick Callan says, that the the pressure was absolutely piled on them. But at least they had that focus in beating Mead. It wasn't about kind of the double. You know, you hear sports psychologists say like, you know. Punch it on mm, the, yeah, the actual yeah, process, yeah. like so. Like, don't in, think a, in a way, they were like, "We know the doubles big, but for us, yeah, let's just win." This Mead game is almost Mead. bigger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they had to do it. Like, and so there was huge pressure in that way. Anyway, like, um, so then the, the county was just hyped up big time. Like, the ticket prices went through the roof. Like, people were booking you know, the days you would get flights from Cork Airport to Dublin. They were, they were booked up. You can imagine the the, the planning that went into it. So, uh, it was party time. I'm just looking back at some of the stories because there was some great, like the cannon and the and the interviews after the hurling. I know I've jumped back now again. I'm I'm like this is like what I'm like on air. <laughs> Should be keeping a linear fashion. Yeah. Let's go forward Maybe. forward direction. But um, I can't because I know there's like what was it about the cannon? Was he coming back? The stuff about like they're after slapping the back off me out there and <laughs> this is the man for the pope. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he he made it back to the dressing room and Jim Carney interviewed him live. The RT decided to go live and um. Thank you, Jim Carney. Thank you, Jim Carney. Yeah, who, he was kind enough to speak to me as well in the canon. Congratulated him on a good game. For he was from Galway, Jim Carney, obviously, and um, yeah, like he, <laughs> Gerald McCarthy, uh, congratulated him and told him he'd be the next pope. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he kind of admitted that there was a few raw words at halftime, but um, and there was five players like famously at halftime as well. Like, I don't know if this is myth or not. Even after all my <laughs> research, like, but at halftime the canon apparently said there's only you know five e playing out there or whatever it was, or there's only twelve e playing out there. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, well, what was oh, the no. one, what <laughs> was the one? There, there was only two of you playing in that half, and one yeah. of the lads. Who... Yeah, so it was. I think the canon said there's only three out there playing, or whatever it was. And <laughs> Kevin you... Kevin Hennessy said, so, uh, "Father, who are the other two? Like, <laughs> on the way out of the dressing room, not yeah. even like straight away after. Um, so that broke the tension as well, I suppose. Like uh, Nicky English praising former teacher Michael Lister's poem. Thirteen-year-old Cork supporter from Cool A. Roses are red, the Cork jersey is too. Cork's just beaten Galway and they'll beat me too. Yeah. Uh, right, I've absolutely jumped back and I'm sorry <laughs> about that, but I just knew there was loads of little uh, vignettes of stories. Yeah. Um, at this, oh, the bus on the way back and they spot a fella wearing a red and white jersey, locked. Yeah. So Coming a lift. There was a lot of that carry on. Yeah, the, the fan stories are almost as enjoyable to me, like I suppose, mm. as someone who knows well what it's like. So the, I think there was a, a bus head back towards Ballyfeham with a lot of lads from the south side and they spotted a guy up by the red coat somewhere in a red top and uh, he was tumbling a lift. Um, so they, they let him on and he fell asleep right behind the driver, I think, and, and conked it and they woke him up. 
you know, out in Vicarzola or somewhere at four o'clock in the morning and said, uh, we're back in Cork. And your mum was like, oh, I need to be in, in work in eight o'clock in Kildare. <laughs> nice, <nice. laughs> yeah. uh, so. Kevin Hennessy, we've mentioned a, a bit of a wag, spotted the Galway goalkeeper. Hey, give me five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was uh, he was a good man for the, the kind of wind-ups, I think. Yeah, no, uh, plenty of great stories. So, right, now I, I did uh, bollocks up the whole <laughs> flow of the thing, but I don't care because there's just so many great stories in here. So the pressure's on. Uh, what do they do? Do they knuckle down? They Do, do they kind of go to go to ground for the two weeks? Yeah, it was like, um, well, they were in Parky Cueve, but it was very much their own bubble. Um, you know, these guys are working as well, though. You know, they, they couldn't insulate themselves completely. Like, you know, Teddy McCarthy was coming from from shifts in uh, Beamish and Crawford, for example, you know, uh, they they knew the hype was there, but I suppose from a psychology point of view, they were able to just say, okay, this is about, and this was the point I think that Billy Morgan made, like, this is about beating Mead and this is how we'll do it, like, you know, the, from a tactical point of view. Um, and then, you know, put the double out of your mind and that will obviously follow if we beat mm, Mead. Like, look after itself, as yeah. they say. Uh, the, it was a classic, the hurling final was a classic game. Yes. W- would the football final have been described as a classic game? No, I think... Not it was a dogfight, really, as a lot of these games between the two teams were at that stage, and it was probably, um, but it wasn't the worst game either of those. Like, if at the same time, like, um, like as I say, Cork had hit the crossbar through Colm O'Neill in the early stages, it was kind of tit for tat with the points, and then Colm O'Neill was, and they were cruising really. Michael Slocum makes that's the right, points, yeah. no, they were, yeah, they seemingly, were, yeah, like they felt they were just cruising, like an easy street is the term, I think, Michael, not, not by points, but no. just in, in how it felt and yeah. how it was flowing, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had control, I think. Um, then Colm O'Neill, there was that red card incident where he just happened to be the one that gets sent off for a dig. Um, Mick Lines was. You know, doing typical McLean's job on him, and uh, he reacted to a kind of a tempestuous slap of the ball out of his hands. He he kind of gave him a bit of a hook. Um, McLean's, to his credit, walked away, just holding his his cheek, didn't make a meal of it. But he was sent off. He got the line. Um, so you can imagine then, like he had to sit through the rest of the game watching. With the, his tension, must went up a few uh, levels. Like, um, but they got in a half time. They were still in touch, and then. Uh, they just kicked on like, and it was just a case of. And is there points, any story really? from the from the halftime, or was there does uh, not, not really. as much has come out from no, that? It wasn't. Um, it really wasn't as like you Dramatic know dramatic as league, the cannon and yeah, the, and the like, buckets the, of water. Exactly. No, it wasn't at all. In the league final a few months earlier, like there was more of those kind of histrionics. I think we've we have touched on with like there was a particularly nasty game, and afterwards Billy Morgan got down his hands or got down his knees rather, and, and said, "I pray to God that we'll meet meet again in the All Ireland final because we'll be there." Um, so their their prayers came true, and they met their their arch rival, which they wanted to beat. Like, um, but it, there was no panic really at halftime. I don't think it was just a a tactical chat really more than anything there wasn't any need for reminding people what what was on, on the line here like. well, It might be a good point then just um, to set the second half up or, or some of the incidents of the second half up with the story of uh, John Cairns and Jer Cunningham uh, the two toker men is it? Yep. Uh, yeah. Both for the bars and, and their, their careers had shadowed each other yeah, um, one chose hurling and one chose the football, and they they backed each other up. Yeah, exactly. So they, uh, because there was a big save in the in the in the hurling, wasn't there? Yeah. So two weeks previously, obviously, um, Cork had won the, the hurling, and one of the turning points was um, Joe Cunningham basically making a save with his face, like he didn't know a whole lot about it, even though he came down and closed down the angle as he always would. Um, and at the same time, the umpire thought it went wide, so it was you know a big turning point there. Like, and then. You know, fast forward two weeks, and uh, John Kearns, who was his Saint Finbar's teammate, they trained with each other. One was the hurling number one, and one was the 
the football number one for a club in county and they drove each other on a bit like and they were both from Marwood and Tork were their neighbours and maybe a year or two between them like um so then it was almost like an identical um situation really and Brian Stafford came through and uh John Corns raced out and made a really big save like and it's it's really uh I don't know uncanny really the the way that the two incidents mirror each other like and that was a yeah massive massive turning point in that particular game like and uh but John Corns said afterwards um, to his credit really I don't know if it's true that he didn't know much about it either it was just a case of coming out and doing what you're supposed to do as a goalkeeper and they got the bunks like uh, and, and and that's it so the, uh, then there was like so it was, t- it was nip and tuck for points through the second half but then just sort of out of nowhere Cork pulled ahead uh, by four yeah exactly and there was uh, a couple of big frees from Larry Tompkins you know typically put over and um, you know Mick McCarthy who was a really Important player. He's probably on the fringes over those years, but he started that day and he scored a couple of big points. John Cleary came on. You know, like that season probably is characterised by people who were on the fringes really stepping up, like that, that monster final before that. You know, Cullum O'Neill and Mick Slocum kind of nailed his place down. You know, so the same thing happened that day. Like there was, it was really a group effort panel type of a thing. Like, so um, there wasn't one big score from a star and I thought it was just the team functioning really well and um, yeah they got over the line it was amazing and then the whistle blows and I remember the 50-50 cashback uh, song we just won the double <laughs> yeah. we just won the double and it must have been a magic moment and uh, and there it is yeah and uh, should be said Teddy McCarthy made history that time then with, by winning you know two all and Cena Mills in a fortnight an incredible performance and achievements for any man like and uh, he'll always be remembered for that he went back into the the dressing room and it's like almost like a feel of dreams scenario with Jack Lynch is sitting there and he, he congratulates him Dennis Walsh it should be said uh, winning All-Ireland hurling medal two weeks previously he was on the football panel but in those days um, if you weren't on the bench basically you didn't get a medal so he was you know really cruelly denied a medal but he played a huge part really in those two panels and um, it's it's in, in the, I think even though he would he'd get a medal like so he was denied history that in that way but he, he's not Particularly bitter about it, I know. Like he, he kind of very philosophical about it. Yeah, and Jack Lynch, what five Ireland medals and one, one football? football? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. So he's some hero as well. Yeah, so he was sitting there with his briar pipe. Never mind having been Taoiseach, by the way. Just in case anyone's <laughs> yeah. wondering, does he know twice, that? Yeah. Does he know that part? Was he Taoiseach twice? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, we talked about me and the bitterness that certainly the fans had over uh, um, uh, Tompkins uh, and Shea, um, but the Cork fans got their yeah. own back as they raced on the pitch, seemingly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they gave it back at that stage. All right, some of them, like uh, Liam Hayes, told me who's midfield for uh, me that they, that there was he remembers. Cork players been really magnanimous and gracious, but uh, you know the, some Cork fans did hop the but fence. It had, been, it had been building, yeah, you know, like it was, yeah, you know, that's right, that's the word. Like it had been building, and um, so Cork fans rushing out, and as he remembers it, on their way to congratulate Cork players, he, they did <laughs> remind take him. their opportunity, <laughs> yeah, which is he, you know, he says it's fair enough. He knows that um, a lot of it was silly over those years, that that toxic rivalry, I suppose, but it was really compelling, I suppose, looking back on it. They did define that era, like the Cork and Mead thing. And, it, and Larry Tompkins actually makes the point, and a few players probably do that. They drove each other on. It's like, you know, McEnroe Borg or whoever, like, you know, they become better because there's that kind of bait in the war on the other side. Like, uh, I'd, I'd missed this when I read it. I've, I spot it now. We've mentioned Kevin Hennessy. He gave up his his sort of VIP tickets to the to the sister to sister yeah. and sister's friend who wanted to sit with all the players. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm sure. Yeah, so there was a delegation went to the 
the county board and asked for tickets for the, the hurlers so they all went together in their suits I think and sat together with Kevin Hennessy so the girls I'd say were like give us those tickets yeah. huh? so yeah. he's in the canal end exactly and but then, then after spotted yeah obviously and then because oh there's Kevin Hennessy we want a double so they'd lift him up, up on the shoulders and carry him out and sing songs or whatever it's just uh, pandemonium Tompkins yeah. speech references Irish immigrants watching the you know because again different Ireland yeah. different time exactly and I especially given his background he knows well what it's like for to be standing in a bar in Manhattan somewhere watching this or listening on a radio um, so that was a nice touch like his his speech like people kind of perceived Tompkins really as um, I don't know not particularly cuddly character he's a strong player and a big man or whatever but like his speech was really emotive and um, it went on a bit like the RT had to cut it short actually like, oh, and, that's right um, it, but he made special reference then to, to Billy Morgan as well the man who kind of brought him into the panel and really had created this dynasty you know as it was like and he got the Jack Lynch congratulations as well we mentioned that um, uh, yeah and the, the there wasn't the uh, interview then and RT didn't get to do the interview with the was it a live interview with the thing and there was uproar over it afterwards yeah well yeah that was I think the because they, they cut Larry's speech yeah. short there was a lot of complaints over that yeah and they had to make <laughs> reference on the Sunday game to it <laughs> to apologise yeah. for having cut them off um, Larry had played with a, a number of injections to get him through the game actually we haven't mentioned is it is it Con Murphy is the doctor is yeah, it yeah Dr Con so he was another Dr. Con. Uh, along with Kit Cronin and uh, like there was a lot of big characters there like he was a huge part of the success and obviously beyond 1990 but um, you know he he's jokingly referred to as a sick selector and he wouldn't he wouldn't probably apply that to himself but um, he was you know, but he had really a role bigger than what his role was almost completely yeah he was a conduit really to, between the players and um, like it comes through in the John Fitzgibbon story where he's kind of gene him on from behind the goal and he, you know he's kind of that kind of um, kind of arm around the shoulder type guy I suppose when it's needed Um yeah, so he was, I think, uh, in the bar in the Burlington, as you would be the next the day after in All-Ireland, and Larry walked in, and they had a point together, and he had a look at his leg, which he didn't realise was injured at all, like, and he immediately diagnosed the cruciate, like, and it had transpired that Larry Tompkins had played, played at least 15 minutes. And scored two points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's, I mean... He's not hobbling or anything. Like, how? Yeah, and he's never the same... I don't know if you'd agree, but I don't think he was ever the same player again after that. Like, that wow. was, you know, that that did change him as a player but like amazing hip, hip cartilage medial ligament and cruciate same yeah. injury Gascoigne got in Wembley against Forrest when he stretched it off never, Larry never went down never got attention until he told me the following day Yeah, most amazing thing I've seen himself and Shea he brought a huge amount of that team yeah Jesus. I can't imagine that unbelievable <laughs> Billy Morgan there must have been some sense of satisfaction now coming back or maybe not maybe someone as driven as that is, is almost yeah, uh, but, but but having had the crack off me and finally doing it and with 14 men and everything yeah I think it definitely was um, job done alright like and there was satisfaction there that they'd overcome everybody like there was a lot of doubters as well about you know there was talk of bottle in 88 and so that word was used a lot in 89 and people like Neil Tobin give us that one Um, you remind me was like uh, you'll never it was Neil Tobin who said last night that you can take the cork out of the bottle but you can't take the bottle out of cork that was to the homecoming (laughs) so there would have been roars "Ah!" (laughs) yeah Um, so like that kind of that was used against them over the years probably so they'd they'd really gotten those you know to use that phrase again the monkey was off their back now like so um, and I think like then it was when you kind of move in to 91 like you can imagine the partying that went on like and the not partying but celebrations were huge like and every kind of clubhouse in the county had to be visited in every school well, Sam was home yeah, yeah and like you know naturally enough it was 
felt like the end of a cycle almost like it was going to be hard to kind of go again like so that was the next challenge that's the next book that's it. Yeah. Um, well, look, we're, we're, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the chat. Adrian Russell, no, author you. of The Double and editor of The42.ie, How Cork Made GA History. Um, but maybe it might be a, a nice way to finish just to mention, uh, like Cork and me needed each other. I think uh, so, yeah. And uh, whilst they hated each other, I think as, as the years go on and, and you look back and everything else, and, and the John Cairns funeral, I think, was a time where they... Realise the futility of the hatred and the fact yeah. that actually they'd been yeah, sort of the yin to each other's yang. Yeah, there was probably um, Michael McCarthy passed away first uh, in a car accident, sadly, and um, you know Robbie O'Malley and maybe a couple of other Mead players came to the funeral or went to the funeral in Skibbereen, and that was usually appreciated, and that was the first kind of sign of a thawing really between the two panels, and then. Um, I suppose a few years after that John Curran sadly passed away after a long cancer um, battle to use that word um, and like a, it was the Mead players kind of got together and said okay let's all go like and it was a proper delegation and that was usually appreciated and there was a coming together of, of the groups in the, the Lock Tavern I think it was and they had a good night and you know they kind of did realise as far as what they've said to me that you know it was football, really, like, and it kind of got probably got out of hand here and there. But like, they, there's very good relationships now. There's you know um, various visits for retirement parties, and there was um, a couple of players at a you know a wedding of a child, and um, I know John Kearns Jr. Um, who won the the title, the football title with the Bears a couple of years ago. He got various texts from from me players. Like so, it's it's actually lovely. You know, I think that there is that kind of human element to it, and um, any of those rivalries have been put to one side. Although you know they will still argue that, and the Mead players have to me that Mead were better, and I'm sure Cork would say the same, even though. <laughs> uh, but the the final words of the book are. Uh uh, let me see Dennis Walsh I think. Dennis Walsh it was fabulous to meet them and for me to realise it's only a game it's important and it was important at the time but it's more important now that we have something together and that's kind of it they battled together didn't they yeah. out in the fields but um, I'm glad Cork came, came out I'm glad I'd say Cork are glad they came out yeah. on the right side of it finally exactly. yeah I suppose the point is yeah it was for the players it like it was a historic thing for the county and they'll always have that and fans absolutely love looking back on it as I well know but for the players they have those memories of you know being in pubs in Brentford on trips or New York or in Grand Canary or whatever. Croke Park, they went through the the battles and the the laps of Croke Park and Perky Cueve Rodder, I suppose. So um, yeah, I hope they they think that this book is a reflection of some of that. I think you did a fine job. Well done. And will it ha- will it happen again? Yeah, <laughs> we, the million, yeah, the million not, dollar question. Yeah, the the Santi double is it this year? We're going to get the. The, the two all Ireland's within a week of each other in December would be nice to, the to have the home coming. Yeah, well, Christmas. yeah. Except except for the no crowds would be yeah uh, a shame. It would be it, sad. It's not it? the same. No, uh, I, I love my sport and I love still watching it. But um, at this no. current COVID moment, as we record this podcast interview, uh, whilst we'd love the double to come back as the Santa yeah. double, Jesus, with no one there for it. No, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? Wouldn't but be the same thing. Yeah, next Look, year maybe. We'll get back to those good times. Uh, Adrian, uh, thank you so much for your company. Adrian Russell, The Double, How Cork Made GA History. Pleasure chatting with you on Red FM this evening. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. You've been listening to a Red FM podcast. For more extra content, go to redextra.ie.